Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. All right, so thank you for joining us once again. It's really a pleasure to have you with us. We're going to roll on to our next guest here. He is Ed Epley from the Epley Group in Dublin, Ohio. And uh, let me tell you a little about Ed uh, helps executive teams, CEOs and owners create clarity so they and their teams can focus. And this helps their business advance versus oscillate. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and and, uh, glad to have you with us. Thank you, Bill. My my pleasure. Excited to be with you. Well, same here. Same here, Ed. I've I've been uh, looking over your uh, your your specs and your website and everything, and and your you have some books out. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, let's get into it. How did you uh, get started in this particular field? What led you to this? Well, I've always been an entrepreneur, Bill, of one sort or another since I was actually a teenager, and um, as a result of that, I found um, myself starting different businesses, uh, in some cases closing them down, in other cases selling them. But over the years, I came to realize that there are certain um, uh, scenarios that business owners find themselves in that are somewhat predictable. And um, as a result of that, I started uh, having conversations with people about those, not realizing I was actually starting a consulting business before, <laughs> before it became one. <laughs> Um, so that's that's kind of how I got into the business. It was almost by accident at first. I think that's how Ann Landers got started too. Uh, <laughs> uh, so hey, uh, your introduction says that you help your clients advance versus oscillate. Tell us what that means. Yeah. Well, I wish I could be the author of the idea, but it's a guy named Robert Fritz in his book, The Managerial Moment Truth, makes reference to the fact that so many of us in our businesses. Um, deal with problems thinking that we've solved them and then pretty soon we find ourselves back in the same situation or a similar one three, six, nine months later. And so what he says, that's oscillation. So what we, we're like somebody that's in a rocking chair and we're rocking really hard, but when we stop rocking, we find ourselves still in the same spot as when we started. Advancing businesses actually make progress where over some period of time uh, with the same amount of effort, they actually advance the business. And so um, I view my job in my work with my clients as trying to help them figure out how to advance rather than oscillate. Very good. Uh, yeah, I, I pictured the uh, the oscillating fan <laughs> where it, it blows the air over <laughs> onto the left and it's and then it moves over to the right and the left, you know, so it's you're always uh, trying to cover the same ground over and over again. And I, I think that a lot of business owners find themselves in that situation for a lot of different issues. Uh, and in your book, um, let's be clear, you speak about something called the gap trap. What's that all about? 
Well, um, the the consequence of managers being very good at the work that they are now supervising others to do is that it's really easy for them to end up doing work that really should be done by other people. Another way to think about this is that anytime a manager is doing work that can and should be done by others below them in the business, in the, in the hierarchy of the organization, it takes time away from what the manager should actually be doing. So they don't have enough time to actually do their job. But because managers are very good at a lot of the work that their people do, it's so easy for them to fall into the trap of doing that work. So as a result, if you're not growing and developing your people, and in many cases we're not because we feel like it takes too long to teach people to do what we already can do well, or we like it so much we don't want to give it up, we now are retarding the growth of the business because we are actually doing this work that should be done by others instead of doing the real job that we should be as the manager and leader of the business. And that's what we call falling into the gap trap. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's always, uh, I talk a, a lot of with business owners about that, about, you know, you have, you have so many tasks that you do every day, but you really shouldn't be doing most of them. You should, you know, you should have either delegated or, or be working on how to delegate, uh, 80 to 90 percent of those tasks so that you can focus and uh, of course then that gives the business owner if it's a business owner time back in their day to work on building more value in their business right absolutely and um, the, there is a premise that sometimes business owners don't think about until way way too late which is just because they own the business doesn't mean that they're the best person to run the business bill and, and so in some cases, if I really love the, the work with my hands in the work and doing that, and I really don't like to do the uh, executive, administrative, um, leadership kinds of things that the business requires, maybe that's the time uh, when I become aware of that, that I should actually be more uh, thinking about getting a general manager or a COO or someone who can uh, – thrive doing that kind of work and we can be somebody who reports to that person and still be the owner of the business. Now, Ed, you've worked with, with big and small companies. Um, what differences do you see in working with um, owners and managers of the very large versus the very small companies? Um, a, cu a couple of things stand out um, and some uh, are, are, oriented around the fact that the differences, the problems are not necessarily that much different between a company with 5,000 employees versus a company with 50. The issues that the mm -hmm. business still has to address and fix are still those kinds of issues. So mm -hmm. the, the, the premise that my business is somehow not facing the same problems if you know, if we've got 50 or 100 people, and you think about somebody that's um, uh, an exponential factor larger than you, you would tend to think, well, their problems are different. Well, they're really not different, but the ability to resolve them and to see them sometimes is much more difficult in a bigger company. So a lot of times, it's easy to confuse the symptom of the problem with the actual problem or the root root cause. And the bigger and the more diverse the organization, and, uh, and if you think about it. 
if you're in multiple locations, all the moment you have two locations or offices instead of one, the business becomes dramatically more complex. So to me, that's the major difference that you would see um, in in just the the dealing with this, the issues that are similar. The other thing that I think that's hard to get your head around is when you are dealing with cultural issues about the business, when you're dealing with the health side of the organization and, and the kind of environment you're creating for the people that work with you and for you, um, the bigger the company, the longer it takes to fix those problems, the more difficult it's going to be, um, and the more frustrated you're going to be about how slow that process is to, to fix a cultural issue. In a, in a large company, um, you, what the, the general rule we would use, Bill, is for every year I'm sorry, for every layer of management you have in the company, it's going to take at least one year of work to fix the culture. So if you've got oh. 50 people, it's a lot, a, a lot simpler to fix that culture simply because it won't, it, you might get that fixed in one, two years. But in a 5,000-person organization, you ought to think about that as a minimum of four years and probably six years to get that fixed. And most, most executives don't recognize that or think about it and, and think about the marathon that they're they're going to have to run to fix their culture if they have problems. Interesting. So different, uh, same problems, different timelines, different, you know, uh, it has to seep down through more layers. Um, now, I want, yeah. uh, if you're listening to this right now, I want you to pull out a, a clean piece of paper and, and get a pen in your hand uh, because uh, I'm going to ask Ed about a, a very important list that you need to make. Uh, Ed, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, most people have a to-do list. You have something else called a stop-doing list. What's it all about? Yeah. Well, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talked about the most important list you can make is a stop-doing list. And the premise behind that is, uh, and in fact, Peter Drucker spoke about it way before Jim Collins when he talked about the difficulty that business executives have at abandoning anything. Um, and so as, as the business grows and evolves, there are certain products, services, things we've done that have made the business successful. But as the market shifts and as things change, um, we need to be ready to stop doing those or do dramatically fewer of those activities than we have historically. And so um, Jim Collins is simply reinforcing that, that we need to be able to abandon certain things uh, that no longer pr produce the value that they have historically so that we have more time to do the stuff that really matters. And so essentially what you're doing is not adding anything to your list. You're taking things off of it. And as a result of that, now you theoretically should have more time to work on the stuff that really most matters. And, and I, I'm an absolute believer in that. I see with all, all the businesses with whom I work, this this un, uh, un, unbelievably difficult task they have of getting rid of anything that in the past has been successful for them, even if it no longer will will produce the same value. They they fear fear so greatly that they're somehow harming the business if they focus on fewer things. Very interesting, and yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's probably easy for the first. Uh, five or six or maybe seven uh, things you put on that list. Most owners probably have a lot of those things. They say, well, by the time I tell somebody or teach somebody how to do this, it could, I could have done it myself. But that's, that's destructive behavior, right? Very much so. No question about it. 
Now, Ed, you've been around a number of, of great leaders. In your opinion, what's the most important aspect of leadership? Self-awareness. Um, my ability as an executive, as an owner, as a president, even as a mid-level manager, my effectiveness is going to be dramatically uh, proportional to the amount of understanding I have about my strengths, my weaknesses, my biases, um, and the, the things that I do that are intuitive for me, that create value for the business, and the things that I either struggle with or won't do or can't do that the business needs done. And so the more aware I am of all of those things about who I am as a manager and a leader, the more I am better able to make allowances for those, Bill. I can, I can work on the things that I need to work on to make improvements. But in other cases, I can also acknowledge I'm never going to be good at that, and I can hire people or uh, make changes in my structure about the way I operate the business so that I can um, make changes in that. The other thing is that, that with that self-awareness, which usually comes way too late in our executive career, I know it did in mine, the, with that awareness also comes a humility. Um, there comes a, um, an understanding and appreciation that um, sometimes, you know, we're the biggest obstacle to the movement or the advancement of the business. And that, that humility is often lacking. And at my, you know, when I was 38, 40, 45, I, I was very much convinced about my skills and abilities that really weren't that good. Interesting. And so um, now I noticed that on your website that listeners can take uh, an assessment. Does that have to do with um, everything that we've talked about or is, or is it particularly for self-assessment or self-awareness? Because I would imagine you know, most people would need some kind of a tool to really dig into their strengths and weaknesses um, and that type of a thing. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, um, the assessment on my website is really uh, around the ability of someone to um, exhibit the six disciplines of professional management that I'm such a believer in. These six disciplines are uh, part of a program taught at an organization called Aileron near Dayton, Ohio. And these disciplines, um, when installed within a business, allow the organization to have a common language and a framework for what it means to provide the direction, operation, and control for the business that, that we all want. Um, and they're not unique. They're not proprietary. Um, you know, but, and one of those six disciplines is leadership. So the assessment is really to get you thinking about how much and how well do you understand what those disciplines are. And everybody's already doing, if you're if a manager, if you're an executive, if you're an owner of a business, you're already doing some version of each of those disciplines. But probably when you take the assessment, what you become aware of is you're probably not doing them with the breadth or depth that you, you probably should for the business to get the most advantage out of them. So that's what the assessment does. So it's a form of self-awareness, but it's not all of the self-awareness that an executive needs. I think another area where we all need to have great self-awareness would be in our, our um, the cognitive bias, the, the filters that are in our head about how much risk or opportunity we see in, in situations. 
And most entrepreneurs, Bill, and I think you'll note this in the people with whom you've worked and interviewed, most entrepreneurs have a different kind of tolerance for risk than most other people. So entrepreneurs tend to see great risk in not doing something where most non-entrepreneurs only see risk if they do something. So those of us who are entrepreneurs feel like we're missing out if we don't do certain things. Even if there's a financial risk associated, we would say the risk of not doing it is, is outweighs any potential financial loss we could have. So that wow, cognitive bias, yeah, that cognitive bias that, that resides in all of us, we, we, we probably need to get a handle on and understand how strong that is and what that looks like and how it shows up. I think the last thing, uh, the other insight uh, and self-awareness that people have have to have is how what's their capacity to, to care about others, so to understand and care what people think about other than ourselves. Um, entrepreneurs tend to get blamed for being selfish because they tend to fixate on things. And, in, and to that extent, they probably are. But I don't think it's in, inherently – most entrepreneurs I know are very generous people when it's all said and done but they have trouble sometimes picking up on the signals that other people send them. So I, it's not that they don't care about others, but they, they probably lack in some emotional intelligence. And, and so that's the other piece uh, of the puzzle that I think people need to have uh, insight into it, to, to themselves is, is what, what's their capacity to think and care about what others care about. Great information. It's, it's really a, a pleasure to talk with you, and I'm, I'm glad our, our paths have crossed. Now, I want to let our listeners know that your website is theepleygroup.com. That's T-H-E-E-P-P-L-E-Y group.com. And you can go there, and again, there's a free assessment that can help you to understand where, where you are in this, in this whole process. And as well, you can download different papers on critical aspects of professional management, and um, be sure and buy Ed's book, Let's Be Clear, which is also on Amazon. Again, you've given us some, some of the snippets of, of what's in the book. It sounds fascinating, and uh, it's available, I guess, on Amazon as well as probably at your website, Ed? That's correct, Bill. And um, it, it certainly was uh, – writing the book was a, an opportunity to coalesce all of the experiences I've had working with different kinds of clients, especially over the last 25 years, but being in business now for over 40, I've, I've had all these experiences and certainly most people shouldn't have to make the mistakes that I've made to learn what I've learned. So that's one of the main reasons <laughs> I wrote that book. You're very, very good. Very good. It's words of wisdom from someone who's been there and done that. Uh, Ed, I really appreciate you coming on today. It's a real pleasure. And, and uh, I hope we can have you back. We just barely scratched the surface of, of uh, your, your knowledge and your information today. But I really appreciate what you've brought to our listeners. And I wish you all the best. And again, listeners, um, it is uh, uh, theepleygroup.com. Ed Epley, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Bill. Look forward to being with you again. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.